0: Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage.
1: Okay, I am ready. Let's go.
0: Madam President.
1: Yeah, what is it?
0: We've been conferring, and we think it's a mistake for you to go live pigeon shooting.
1: Why? I'm on vacation. Live pigeon shooting is, like, my favorite thing.
0: As you know, Norway launched missiles against an American cruise ship.
1: I know. What is up with Norway? They used to be so chill.
0: Well, for you to go pigeon shooting clashes with the gravity of the situation, Madam President. Huh.
1: Well, let's let's get the whole Secret Service detail together and play Tug of War. You know I love Tug of War.
0: I'm afraid Tug of War is also out of the question, Madam President.
1: Well, what can I do? I'm in a pressure cooker 24-7. I need to blow off some steam.
0: We did some research, Madam President, and we came up with this.
1: What is that?
0: It's called Cup and Ball.
1: Cup and
0: Ball? It's a 19th century amusement, and it's far more difficult than it looks... The ball is attached to the cup via this long string. The game is to swing the string in such a way that the ball lands in the cup. So, in a way, it resembles golf.
1: That's your idea of fun?
0: A pastime, Madam President.
1: You know what that's going to make me want to do? Shoot pigeons.
0: So, we're back where we started.
1: All right, well, let's just think about all this while we listen to the nose. Can presidents play golf when terrible things are happening? Also, can you be a feminist and still enjoy catcalls and wolf whistles? And now he got a construction job just so he could whistle it, Blythe Danner. Colin McEnroe.
2: Oh, Who knows? She might walk by. She's rehearsing on Margulies play right now. The last time she passed, I yelled, "You were great in Meet the Fockers," and I think she heard me wrong. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, welcome to the Nose special Hello Ladies edition on the show today. Teresa Kramer is spending part of her birthday with us. She's a founder of The Cut, an online magazine for the young adults of Connecticut who are falling apart right before our eyes. On this one day, construction workers are allowed to yell that she looks good for her age. Uh, No longer young but still beautiful thanks to nearly constant saline injections. James Hanley, the peerless leader of Trinity cine studio. And finally, when he walks down the street in New York, he strides confidently and doesn't wear slutty clothes. But they still treat him like a tramp. Guitar hero, award-winning producer and cancer activist Jim Chapdelaine with us. Later in the show, we will indeed talk about this New York Post features writer, Dory Luwak. I don't know if I'm saying her name right, who published an op-ed Monday uh, that touted the joys and thrills of getting catcalled, especially by New York's finest construction workers. We'll also be talking about um, I don't know how to put this exactly, but sort of a different kind, a new kind of Dr. Feelgood, a plastic surgeon who offers a so-called lunchtime lift, a saline injection that makes you it makes your cup runneth over for 24 hours or so. A New York Times article about it this week contained the quote from a disapproving doctor between good bras and chicken cutlets. You can always look good in clothes. I will never look at chicken cutlets the same way again. Presumably they're not the breaded kind. But first something a little bit more serious and that's uh, President Obama is now coming under quite a bit of criticism. He's on vacation in Martha's Vineyard. this is a very, very troubled time in the world and we've had an especially personal tragedy, uh, the story of journalist uh, James Foley who was beheaded. Uh, shortly after receiving that news, President Obama headed out on the golf course uh, where he was for many hours and there he may have even smiled many times and uh, fist bumped somebody else who, who had uh, completed some sort of excellent golfing shot. Um, but. Uh, so the question is, you know, is this permitted? Is this something that we should disapprove of? This is – it's a complicated job. It is a pressure cooker job. Uh, there are tragedies that happen every day. Some of them are very vivid and personal and intimate and have names and sometimes it's 30 people who died somewhere and, and maybe it's a little less clear. Uh, but what seems to be happening this time is not only in the kind of 24-hour right-wing news cycle where he's disparaged all the time but even among people who are ordinarily sympathetic to him, there's sort of a little sense that maybe he did something wrong. And Teresa Kramer, since it's your birthday, you can go first. And also because you are, uh, at least earlier in the day, you were of somewhat divided mind about all this.
3: Yeah, I I was. Um, part of me thinks, like you said, he's he's the president. He's got a, or like Kayon said in the opening anyway, um, it's a tough job. And if the two weeks where you get vacation just turn out to be, you know, an international nightmare, You don't get your break like everybody else. Um, But I certainly understand that uh, this seems tactless and a little gross.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, and you don't get your break anyway. Mm -hmm. We should be be clear about that. Mm -hmm. When you go on vacation, you're the president of the United States. 200 people come with you. And yeah, the (laughs) nuclear football comes with you and everything Mm -hmm. else. You get daily briefings on domestic and international issues. You still do your weekly radio broadcast. There's a whole bunch of things that you don't get to stop doing anyway. Nancy Mm -hmm. Reagan said it's not a vacation. It's just a change of scene, Um, which then raises the question, well, then why take it if you're going to be punished Mm -hmm. for doing it, James? But uh, (laughs) we we know that uh, the Prime Minister of uh, of England actually did cancel his vacation over something going on in Syria. So there's an optics here, right? I mean, that's right. part of the issue. Yeah.
4: That's the thing. I mean, it's a matter of tone, and I I just think that maybe there are too many people around him advising him, perhaps, about what he should do, and like people who see him under tension, maybe suggest that he does something that you know the, that he goes ahead and don't break your routine and stuff. But you have to think in terms of tone and and the projection of your image and. If you're not, if you're in a position like that where you are on all the time, no matter what, I mean, would it really be so bad to wait a day or two? You know, to 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 be able to say, well, you know, I'm going to going. Yeah, you know, what would pictures of him walking in the woods do, for example? You know, looking like he was affected by this and thinking about this. I think, you know, people around the world are watching this stuff and doing something like that, and having somebody around him who could say to him, look, don't go out on the golf course particularly with the echoes of the George W Bush thing where he you know was merrily going out on the golf course after terrorist activity and 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 you know sort of making out that he was not going to have his routine changed but the fact is that when things happen of that kind things do change you can't say it doesn't change and so i think that as the as the president, he, he should be casting that tone that indicates that, OK, this is a time to be thoughtful and be careful that you don't project the image that you're doing something else. I wonder if it is partly golf.
2: You know, I mean, um, <laughs> I, I'm sort of it's serious about salt. that, though. I mean, <clears throat> you know, the, the only president really who could successfully re- recreate, recreate was JFK, who almost kind of was a symbol to the nation uh, I mean I think people sort of the nation kind of enjoyed the fact that he was there in Hyannis and that they were going out in sailboats and they were playing touch football and there was this sort of idea of vigor and fun but for the most part we don't like it when presidents do do these kinds of things and somebody always has a problem with a vacation Jerry Ford went to Vail people were mad that he was skiing during uh, a recession because he was skiing during an inflation period was, was bad in some way um, President Bush well we'll even come to that but, I mean, he took a lot of heat for his, his vacation. But there's something about golf, too, right? I mean, it bothers now, people. Now watch this shot. Well, yeah. We, I, we, well, we actually have that, that clip if, yeah, if you want so to. Actually, before you go, we'll, we'll yeah, play okay, the clip play so people know it. what yeah. you're talking about. So 2002, um, uh, President Bush was uh, talking to the press on the golf course uh about uh, some deaths uh there were israeli deaths i believe nine people dead uh in some kind of bus bombing i think i have that right um, and he just made a very very abrupt transition uh as he stood there on the golf course you yeah, you can hear it here
0: we must stop the terror i call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers thank, thank you. you now watch this drive
2: all right, that's that's too abrupt a transition. But there's something about golf; it bothers people, right? There's something there's something uh, maybe inherently it, maybe it appears
5: elitist or something like that. I don't know. I I don't play golf. I've i failed miserably every time I try. I tried because of my dad to hmm. to just tag along with him a bunch of times and would always watch people throw their clubs in the pond and stuff. But I know people who are play golf and love it, and they feel like they get a lot accomplished on the on the course. So and I'm told that much business happens on a golf course. And perhaps that would explain uh, uh, my station in life. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be worse,
4: though. I mean, it could be like beach volleyball
5: or something like that. Yeah, right, Um, right. right. Disc
3: golf. Maybe he needs to take up disc golf. Right,
5: right. (laughs) So uh, optics is the key thing here, 24-hour news cycles and stuff. So this is an uncharacteristic Mm -hmm. misstep, I think, for Obama, who's usually sensitive to this. uh, In in keeping this in mind, he was at the national press conference dinner – the, the night before killing bin Laden. And he was really funny that night. As I recall, he was – his timing was great and he was flying out zingers and nobody took him to task for that. I mean he had to be preoccupied with the fact that he was about yeah. to change the world. So. I feel like this was, yes, a little bit tasteless and probably a handler mistake or or, ultimately his mistake.
2: Yeah, and we don't know. I mean, as James suggested, there may have been strategists, I mean, military strategists even saying, go out and play golf. We need you to make it look like nothing's changed. Look normal. I mean, we need you to do that. I mean, uh, we don't know whether that's the case or not. Before I want to go around with one more aspect of this, but I also want to say we won't be on this topic very long. Our number is 860-275-7266 if you wanted to chime in. 860-275-7266. 860 275 We have other topics we need to get to. But I, you know, I'm not sure I entirely agree with one thing that you said, which is that he's usually good at this. You know, I, I do think that there's this sense of Obama that his emotions aren't exactly in sync with the, with the emotional life of the average American or at least there, there's, there's that knock against him. I think him that's second bit. term Obama. Yeah, but even first term there was this uh, Well, he's
5: made these sort of like watermark race speeches and mm. when he's when he gets pressed he rises to that occasion. And who knows what press means because the world is is just this giant kerfuffle right now. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that his inbox is probably fairly full. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I I have no idea if it's if, if this is the moment he'll that he rises to or this is just another moment where he's like I got to get out of
0: here.
4: There, there's another thing too that I think um, you know. There's a considerable movement online to have people not watch that video, mm-hmm. for example, and right. to sort of minimize the impact of people who are obviously trying to create an impact. And so I'm sure that that's playing into the whole issue of you know how you appear uh that that you know we're talking about probably a whole team of advisors who are sort of having a meeting and then deciding this what this is what you should do and i think that uh in under these circumstances emotionally it seems to me that obama kind of withdraws you know send, withdraws himself emotionally and then becomes very sort of business like and it almost seems like the product of a committee at that point everybody's decided this
2: is what you should do I mean, that's – yeah, that's a thought that I had anyway, that there are differences between Obama and certain other presidents. Clinton, we a- always knew that Clinton's emotional displays were sort of displays, but we kind of liked that anyway because he was so good at it. I don't know.
3: Well, I, I'm sitting here thinking that when you're the president, you uh, – it's got to be hard to strike the right tone because you cannot like, – like most people who would see this video would probably just cry and crawl under the bed or something. But you're the president and you can't do that. So you have to be – Appropriately, you have to be stern, you have to be um somehow warm and comforting for the family. You have to be all these things that it's almost impossible to be mm-hmm. when you can't show any true emotion because you're the president and you don't get to just sob right. on television.
2: Yeah. all right, we got a call here from our number by the way eight six zero two seven five seven two six six uh Kristen in stores. Hi Kristen. Hi Colin. You're on the air
1: um. I'm just wondering if you have any statistics at your fingertips about how many days Obama has taken on vacation compared to previous presidents. It seems like he never takes vacation other than two weeks in August and two weeks at Christmas. Yeah, he has not. He's taken
2: far less. I think he's taken about 150 days of vacation during his entire uh, two terms so far here as contrasted to, I mean, President Bush, the, the second President Bush, kind of famously took a lot of vacation. Now, some of that involved just moving his operation to his ranch in Crawford and and, and mountain biking and doing stuff like that. I think he had over... brush. Right. He had a lot of brush. He was yeah. having
5: brush actually airlifted in mm, right. because yeah. he had
2: cleared like so
3: I've, much. I'm out of brush. So it, right.
2: just, it didn't even look that much mm-hmm. like a vacation, but Whatever you call it, there, I think there were more than 800, 800 days of that uh, during his presidency. So, yeah, Obama doesn't take a lot of vacation. And as we say, it doesn't really seem to matter that much anyway when you're on vacation. It, this seems to me more like strategy. But it, it also does seem like it's a little bit of a reaction to, like, who is this guy and how does he process his emotions? And is
5: that lens even more amplified now than it was during the time that Bush was president? Um, which was even a, a more chaotic time. Um, so, so it is. I, I do think it was a misstep on his his part. I think it'll it's over with already, mm-hmm. um, because there's far more pressing issues. But I, th-
4: I think you have to factor in the immediacy actually of things now. That, Like we were talking about Kennedy, you know how Kennedy appeared to be sort of carefree on his boat and stuff like that. I think the immediacy of people finding out about stuff now is so great hmm. that there's this tremendous pressure to have reactions to everything immediately. And it means that you've got to gather everybody together and decide where are you going to go with this. And so it's a very different paradigm from what it might have been like even 20 years ago. Or
5: FDR sort of camouflaging his own, uh, uh, the fact that he was in a wheelchair. Yeah,
2: that
4: that couldn't happen. I think there's
2: also kind of a a false set of assumptions or pretenses, a kind of kabuki about what our emotional behaviors really are. And and I think back to some other instances. For example, I believe Clinton uh, was caught laughing walking uh, out of Ron Brown's funeral. I'm pulling this out of my memory, but I think I have it right, right. that he was seen laughing at some point uh, during Ron Brown's funeral. Uh, and um, there was – I remember there were some congressmen uh, right after 9-11 who got in trouble because they were caught or they were photographed in a bar where they were laughing You know, within a day or two of 9-11. But the thing, Teresa, that, I, that strikes me about that is we all know that often at times of tragedy, at mm-hmm. times of grief, at times uh, – I mean those are often times when we, we do laugh, um, I mean we are we human beings are not uniformly serious at these times sometimes in in the almost most horrible of situations, you find something to laugh at.
3: At my grandfather's funeral, you know, people come up to you and they're constantly saying, you know, you're so, oh, I'm so sorry, blah blah blah, and that just sort of makes you want to cry more. Mm-hmm. And so my friend Lindsay and her mother started just whispering really dirty, horrible things in my ears, so that I would just laugh. And every time someone would come up and say something that just made me want to cry, they would tell me I was some horrible, terrible, awful thing, and I would start laughing. And that's not that's not yeah, pres- that's not pre- know, pres- but
5: it- <laughs> no, but it's not presidential either. No, no. no it's not- <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, but but she 's not present I, I mean th- th- there 's a million stories exactly like that, because humans yeah. need yeah. to whistle by the boneyard mm-hmm. and and so i don 't think this is quite whistling by the boneyard no. i think it 's just a, a miscalculation. And that there are amplified optics that are increasing exponentially yeah. all the time. Instantly. Right, yeah. right. And the, the news cycle that was once 24 hours is now down to about 12 seconds. Mm-hmm. All right.
2: Uh, let's grab one more call here and then we, uh, we uh, since we've decided we're going to try to do three topics in the B segment, we may have to move on here pretty quickly. Here's Jim in Oakville. Hi, Jim. Hey. Hello. Hi, you're on the air. You might. Yeah. I think you might need to turn your radio down, though, because it'll mess with your brain if you don't.
0: I'll turn my radio down. Yes. All right. I'm just saying that um, I don't see anything wrong with President Obama going on the golf course at the time of a tragedy. He needs to process his emotions. I think of Winston Churchill during the whole of the Second World War had his cigars and he had his alcohol, his his wine and his port. This man neither drinks nor smokes. He just does golf. I don't see any harm in it. All right. And That's a good maybe point. he can pretend that the golf ball is a terrorist or something and it would help him gain objectivity. All right. Yeah. Thanks
2: for that call. I think I, we're, yeah, I think he's ahead.
1: on Nicorette, though.
2: Yeah. He
1: you know,
3: brewed his own beer.
2: Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think mm-hmm. he's a teetotaler anyway. No. And we do think he quit smoking, but, you know, people are sneaky. Uh, all right. So <laughs> there are some things that cameras never do catch. Right. All right. So uh, we're going to take a little break here. We've got uh, so many more things that we want to talk about today. So we'll do that. We'll come back.
1: Bermuda shorts. We're golfing in paradise. We're golfing in paradise. Even bad shots look so nice when you're golfing in, when you're golfing in, when you're golfing in paradise, when you're golfing in paradise.
2: very jazzy. Uh, all right. So it's The Nose today. It's Teresa Kramer's birthday. So uh, she got to pick one of the topics. We would have let her pick the topic anyway, <laughs> but it's, uh, I'll make it look like it's a birthday present mm-hmm. because in the minute we suggested doing The Nose, she said, yes, but I have to talk about this. And so this mm-hmm. uh, is a piece that ran earlier this week. Dori Luak, a features writer for the New York Post, published an op-ed uh, ran that went up on Monday night in which she basically said that um, she, she kind of enjoys – it's a little pick-me-up for her if she's walking along a New York. York Street and um, some of the ever-present construction workers uh, yell out some words of praise or whistle at her. I mean she doesn't want to be uh, called any particular filthy name or anything like that or uh, she doesn't want anybody getting too graphic. But she says the mystique and the machismo of manly construction workers have always made my heart beat a little faster. Wait a minute. though. No, I actually wrote that. that <laughs> uh, that's I'm not reading from a It made me sachet a little saucier. It's as primal as it gets, ladies. They either grunt in recognition, or they go back to their coffee break. It's not brain science. When a total stranger notices you, it's validating. So I'm assuming you disagree.
3: There's so many. What bothers me is that there's just so many things wrong with her art. Like I don't know how it got by her editor. Her, her editor somewhere should be crying into his coffee because it, I mean it. It makes no sort Why of intellectual sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because no lady would have let that out. Um, so. One like if you're if you're a guy, you may not know that there's sort of an undercurrent in like the ladies' internet of discussions of street harassment and catcalling in general. Because I, I mean, for years and months and whatever, people have been talking about this, and then she she comes out and is like, "No, no, it's wonderful," and you, she makes no connection between the things she's. Um, She's saying are bad, like people being really rude and disgusting to you in your face and how mm-hmm. the the call from the distance that's just like, hey, lady looking good is really just a the same thing on a continuum. When, when Once you allow one, it just ends up at the other end. And she doesn't really um, she doesn't really address that at all. But. She also, but she also makes it very clear that she goes out seeking this attention. Mm-hmm. That she's like, oh, yeah. I, I need someone to yell at me today, so I'm going to put on a They'll short pick skirt. Me up. Yeah, I'm going to walk by <clears throat> the construction, which makes no sense to me because those guys will yell at anything. Like it's not, it's not personal to you. It's not that you really look that great. It's that they're standing around and have nothing to do, and they're just going to yell at you.
2: Although she does, she, she does say she's learned that it's not what you wear—the skimpy sundresses, the sky-high heels—but mm-hmm. how. Walking confidently past a mass of men, making eye contact and flashing a smile, shows you that you have really <laughs> yeah. bad judgment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it shows you that you are. I'm oh, open to your harassment. Right. that's right. let yeah, Do it. Yeah. Yeah. You're I'm self possessed and mm-hmm. playful.
4: It's yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the she's confusing the personal, which is it's her personal mm-hmm. kick, you know, that yeah. she likes to do this, and and sort of extending it by writing about it like this, as though everybody should. Mm-hmm. Right. accept it that way. Yeah, and all course, those ladies at <laughs>
3: Vassar who it, are shaking their finger at her, she's yeah. very Smith. upset about.
4: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and, like and, and that's sort of like a tiresome sort of attempt at sort of making it, mm-hmm. it, it, it eventually of course licenses all of the bad things and mm-hmm. all of the bad implications of what's going on when it's really just her particular kick, her particular kink that she so likes she's, to – So
5: you're saying it's a fetish for her. It's a mm-hmm. fetish for her but
4: then she's writing this thing and then, then making out that, OK, other it's women should feel thing. that way. It's normal. Yeah. You, no. shouldn't, you shouldn't worry about it. But of course yeah. when it turns nasty, mm-hmm. what are you going to do then? What yeah, do you, right. what are you, you're validating that people can act this way, that men could act yeah. this way mm-hmm. towards women?
5: Yeah. She didn't point out that all those men were dressed in latex. <laughs> yeah. but, and that's the only yeah. way it's, it's OK. Yeah. No, it's also sort of this weird stratification of mating rituals that she's validating this caveman mm-hmm. Neanderthal yeah. behavior. Yeah. Like, yeah. where's the clubs? And
3: She probably actually goes out on dates with the guys who honk at her as she's walking down the street. <laughs> <Yeah>.
5: <laughs> My number is. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, this – this woman, it, who knows what mm-hmm. her personal life is like, but it is a really weird signal to send to anyone with a daughter or, mm-hmm. or, or yeah, anyone who knows exactly. a woman. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I day. think most of us do. That's most people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, I
2: had a couple of reactions to it. I mean, one of them is it's such a uniquely uh, unor- New York uh, paradigm. I mm-hmm. mean including the fact that there's a lot of construction going on. I was just in New York for three days and I was in Chelsea where basically everything is under construction. I mean they build new buildings and just rip them down and build other new buildings that harmonize better with the high line or something. So there's just constant mm-hmm. – I mean you could walk around in Hartford and wait a long time for any construction work. So this is sort of a New York and, – and and even that thing is kind of a New York thing yeah, actually. Sort of, back, yeah. back in the 80s, I, I took my one stab at covering – uh, the actual runway shows, the you know, the high fashion run- runway shows for one season. And I had this incredible experience where one, I can't remember whose house it is, but in somebody's showroom, one of the high fashion showrooms actually has sort of a bay window or back in those days did that looked right out onto the street. And so when they did an afternoon show with these runway models, um, they were walking right towards that bay window. And I happened to be uh, I happened to notice from my seat at the show that construction workers on their <laughs> lunch break with their slices of pizza and stuff like that had come over to this bay window mm-hmm. to watch all the runway models. So I came, I went outside and wrote down everything that they said. And it just and it's you know it was such an incredible clash of those ice cold runway models who never smile, who as Whippy Goldberg once said, you know they're making you know twenty thousand dollars an hour and they still look like they're pissed off. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And and these guys, these merry you know these rude mechanicals these shakespearean you know buffoons who are you know commenting but not really not in a real aggressive or hostile way but right. in just sort of the way that they do. It's well like, that's oh, my don't...
3: real problem with her article is that she makes no connection to that that just can become something else because yeah. it is a vi- I mean it is a very New York thing it ha- but part of that is the street life of New York is there's just more people hmm. because you that's know I was structure. thinking about this and you know I I was talking to a male friend who says his wife they live in hebron mm-hmm. okay so there's like no people it's just cows <laughs> yeah. and them so and you, actual cat you, calls. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we, uh, yeah. yeah the wolf, the wolf <laughs> yeah. whistles
2: come from real wolves yeah, so. but
3: right. she's a runner and people honk yell mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. as she's and i mean that is scary when you're out somewhere in the middle of nowhere by yourself and men are yelling at you from a car that is that's yes, terrifying that's yeah, yeah, and and so and any any one person sort of um uh, you know, egging them on and giving them a reason to continue to do this.
4: Yeah, it's like making of, the impression yeah. that it's just guys. You mm-hmm. know, don't worry. Yeah. You know, it's benign. And mm-hmm. ultimately, it does deliver the different message.
5: You know, in Amsterdam, they have a solution to
2: those windows. <laughs> the put a red solution. light in <laughs> them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which is all by itself such an incredibly—I mean, there are so many people walking through the red light district for no other purpose yeah. than to look at these poor women, just who, to gawk, who are you know probably Eastern European women who didn't really expect to be there uh, six months ago and are now being displayed as wares. I mean. That's to me as weird and cringeworthy as it gets, actually.
4: And that—that's the basis of a really lucrative tourist trade, right? For that people that's who, yes. actually, mm-hmm. I mean, there's what two they're it on. <laughs> Right, There's not well, th- quite like Bangkok or
5: something no. like that. I think it's a, they have it ready. I think they have a union. I'm not sure. I was told uh, by a, a Dutch person that, that it's just part of their. Economies. Yeah, it's kind of, of
4: systematizing it and making right, it right. part, as though it's okay to do it that way.
2: Well, um, one question uh, you might have is, well, let's say that uh, I really do want to get wolf whistles and I really do want to get cat calls. Uh, Is there anything I could do to sort of enhance that possibility uh, short term? Well, uh, according to another article in The New York Times this week, in fact, there is. Uh, Before a romantic Caribbean weekend with her new boyfriend, Amanda Sanders decided she needed a little lift. She, She called her doctor, Dr. Norman M. Rowe whose phone apparently is ringing off the hook these days. He's a plastic surgeon in Manhattan. He offers a quick fix, temporary breast enlargement. Instead of surgery, he injects saline solution into the breasts, which briefly expands them. Uh, The procedure began as a way for women seeking breast enhancement to determine how they might look if they chose surgery. That's how it began. Um, but it's turned into something else now. It basically is um, something that – well, it says it may not surprise that the injections were soon being requested as pick-me-ups for parties, weddings, bar mitzvahs, red carpet events or as with, with Miss Sanders, a tropical vacation. You know, because she wanted to wear string bean bikinis and halter tops and stuff like that uh, and just look really great. So I don't know. James, do you want to start, you take well, us down any well, – But it would seem
4: to me if, if nothing else, it's kind of a troublesome start to a relationship if that's what you're <laughs> – you <know>, I mean <laughs> you go on vacation, the tropical vacation. You seem
5: different than
2: yesterday. Right. <laughs> You've changed. Yes,
4: yes, But it seems to be changing as we speak. right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs>
2: It is a little bit like the Wonder Bra, you know, in the <laughs> sense that uh, if the Wonder Bra really worked its magic uh, in certain ways, sooner or later you'd have to take it off, and you really didn't want the man saying, "Would you mind putting that back on?"
4: <laughs> I'm, uh, confused. And, and aren't you going to attract the very sort of person that you probably? I, well, I don't know, maybe you're going to attract a
2: construction worker from
4: <laughs> but, New York, but, but somebody who's like, like, uh, you know, not going to exactly sort of appreciate you when the effects are mm-hmm. gone, and and that uh, you'd be probably in a state of sort of. In uh, uh, great dissatisfaction, and uh, I don't know. Maybe this is a way of the uh, plastic surgeons drumming up business. You know, because <laughs> there'll be such disappointment when the saline solution is absorbed and everything's <laughs> yeah. gone back to normal. Oh well, I'll come back and you know get the well, real thing. Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh,
5: it's quite an investment. It's thirty um,
4: thirty thirty five hundred dollars. Yeah, thirty five hundred dollars for what? For one day? Yeah, I feel hours. like
3: I feel like a breast implant job is only like ten thousand right, dollars. So right. I mean, why why wouldn't you <laughs> maybe, just maybe save you get up a, a discount. little more? Yeah.
2: yeah. Actually, it's now time to tell Teresa that for her birthday, we all chipped in.
5: Yeah. <laughs> Should we do the wolf whistle uh, version yeah. of happy birthday yeah. now, too? Yeah. Um, yeah.
4: And, you yeah. know, in fairness, there, it, it, there are all sorts of other body parts that could be enhanced as sure, well. Sure, but this
5: seems like, very much like a one kind <laughs> of <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Do you know anybody? Uh, well, out. I have a list. I'm, I'm you know, Irish. This is, this is a very <laughs> pressing question. <laughs> check out these earlobes.
3: Uh, yeah. It, I also don't understand how the saline, saline solution stays in place. Like I don't, I don't see why it just doesn't. Sort it doesn't. Of
4: That's it goes away. Well, well, yeah. Right, so but so I mean watching. immediately.
3: Why doesn't <laughs> oh. it just go yeah. away? Like why doesn't yeah. it just disperse throughout your body as soon as it's injected? We well, have
5: twenty minutes to look. I really just
2: have to go right much. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: So take my picture, quick. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, I I do think that what it does – I mean not to put too sort of futuristic a a cap on this. But what it does foretell is a a, a future that's fairly immediate in which I I do feel – you know, that as transhumanism becomes more and more a thing, you'll be able to try certain things on. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, this won't be confined to saline solution within the next, you know, five to 10 years. Uh, you may be able to change certain aspects of, uh, of your body and change them back out again. Uh, I don't know whether that's a good thing or not, mm-hmm. but anything you're unhappy with. I can with, see the new passport photo rules. Yeah, being right. Yeah. right. <laughs> Just ahead, please. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. We have, well, I guess yeah. we should probably shift gears here, although people are calling in. 860 275 7266. 860 275 7266.
3: I you know. Some lady listeners. from Greenwich is calling us right now. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: um, yeah no, if you've got $3,500 for that, well, mm-hmm. I'd like to sell you a car. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, I feel a little, we're, we are going to change gears here. And I feel. I I almost disqualified this topic because I kind of feel bad for this person. And I've decided I'm not going to mention his name because he is from Connecticut Mm -hmm. and I think he might be living in Connecticut.
5: Was he actually from Connecticut? he is a Stanford man. Yes, he is a Stanford man. I feel kind of
2: bad for him because this is the kind of story – He can't hear us. Back to something James was saying (laughs) back in the – we were talking about the Obama thing. You know, just things become public now that never would have become public, I think. And I'm not sure in a less digitally rich age, you know, uh, whether this story would have seeped out. Maybe it would. It's the kind of story that people like to tell. But this is the story of a man who found himself in a relationship, not just a relationship but a relationship that was headed towards marriage. He was planning a wedding that was going to take place in Connecticut. Um, The bride-to-be had spent money on a dress, uh, on on invitations uh, and uh, even on some uh, air air flights. Uh, And then it all changed. She got a call from a man who said that he was the father of the groom uh, and that the father of the groom had told her that the groom had thrown himself in front of a car, um, which <laughs> – That should have been the danger signal. <laughs> yeah. He has a broken leg. <laughs> which, yeah, turns out to be – yeah, never... could you make a call for me? <laughs> <laughs> so this man basically faked his own death to get out of his wedding. Um, and there is – this story has gone kind of viral. There is something um, – See, I think there's something universal about it. I think well, we've yeah, all is. been there, there somehow. Is. But he's taken it pretty much as far as you could take
5: it without, like, he moved to Mars mm-hmm. and, right. and legitimizing that. So I, I will say that back when I was a younger man, for for <laughs> a variety of reasons, I was not particularly adept at uh, entering or exiting relationships, and and would just sort of ease my way up. I don't think. I think you know. We were talking earlier. You may have wanted to be dead but you didn't actually fake your own death to get out of that. But but I, I do remember very concocted schemes that people would have to sort of avoid that conversation mm-hmm. that I guess actual real adults are capable of having. But I, well, I'm curious. How do you get your dad involved in this? Uh, I mean – we have have to, we well, don't it know. wasn't his there. real
3: dad because the mom was confused. That's how the whole thing that's got right. outed. Is she called the mom and wanted to talk about it? And she's like, "What are you talking about? He's sitting over there." <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so I don't. I'm pretty sure it was like his friend Joe or something.
2: Yeah. Or him. He yeah, may have right. just sort of yeah. said, you know.
3: But I mean,
5: mm-hmm. wouldn't she recognize the dad's voice? I mean, she's well, about yeah. to marry him, right?
3: I mean, Well, I, I, I got the understand. sense it was very whirlwind. I don't think, yeah. I think that was part yeah. of the whole problem is that uh. she was, they dated for a little while. She was leaving to go back to England and he was like, well, marry me. And so she met yeah. the parents, but I don't feel, I didn't get the yeah. sense that I, they were. That's
4: what it sounded like. Yeah. I, I can understand wanting to get out of a relationship and all of that, but the, it seems that a lot of these things are calling for us like classes in judgment. It's kind of like classes mm-hmm. in tone, sort of like understanding, quote, unquote, the new digital age, that things are going to appear differently. And like everybody's going to know about these things really quickly. So maybe you'd better like have an idea of where you're
2: particular act is going to end up and what it's going to look like. So if John Adams had wanted to break up with Abigail, exactly, he probably yeah. could have faked his own death and it would have been a little bit – a longer time before yeah, she exactly. figured out. But yeah. that
5: sort of discounts any responsibility he has in this by by saying like the only reason he should be concerned is because we're all going to find out about it. Mm-hmm. But it was sort of yeah, <laughs> sort but that's, it does that's leave it. a it's mark on this woman, right? It's, it's this a, poor woman is left with like, yeah, God, this guy was willing to fake his own death to <laughs> not be with me. I
4: want
2: what's mine, which is out of this. Yeah. And so I can do
4: anything. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I do think that uh, – that uh, just to come back to this, I, there is something universal about it. I mean or maybe it's universal just among the people who are a little bit more passive um, and, and a little And less, don't want to make that call. <laughs> yeah. sometimes <laughs> There's a lot of people who don't want to make that call or – well, I mean I, I certainly have – I don't know if I've ever fantasized about faking my own death to get out of a relationship. I think I have fantasized about dying to get out of a a relationship. So that – faking your own death seems like a step in the right direction from there. Um, But I do think it's the kind of thing that you fantasize about. If you're basically a nice person – And you you, don't want to make the call. Yeah, you don't want to make the call. You don't want to be that person who calls up and says, Mm -hmm. I don't want to marry you anymore. It would be – I mean there's obviously something a little chicken-hearted about that. (laughs) Uh. But think about it a little longer and not jumping in front of the car like, yeah. Like something well, more. Like, or well, could
4: I conversely, if
5: you're really skilled at this, what does that say? You Like you're really good at making this call. Well,
3: that's what I was saying that – oh, you're saying good so at making the really call. So if you're really good at like, hey, babe, I don't guy, want to
5: marry you. I'll see you Friday for lunch. Bye. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. If was, you're that guy, yeah.
5: that doesn't speak to your character either, right?
3: Well, I think part of the problem here is that there was a wedding being planned. That – at some point to call off the wedding you are you are not just breaking up with someone you are angering families you are getting deposits taken from you there's all sorts of things and so he went like ma- instead of where he might have just stopped answering her texts if they were just dating he was like i got to fake my own death
2: instead right. yeah, yeah. but it's I, the only acceptable
3: reason to call off a wedding yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. I, yeah. and that would have been yeah. <laughs> right i do think james is right if in this day and age in 2014 you can't just on a whim, fake your own death and it do it with like one phone call. It takes a your lot Facebook of work. Page is yeah, still yeah, out yeah. Yeah. It, it takes, it takes <laughs> right. much more work. I think <laughs> yeah. it's kind of sad that you can't fake your own Where death. Where are those anymore. tweets coming
1: from? <laughs> All right.
2: Uh, we've got one caller here who wants to go back to the previous topic here. And we even I think had a construction worker on the line for a second. I wish he had oh, we he we hung up. I'm gonna hear from that person. Uh, but uh, here's somebody who wants to go. That would be two topics jumping back. This is uh, Dave from Waterbury with one topic jumping back. Hi, Dave.
0: Hi, how are you? Good. So I just wanted to point out that skin body tissue is not completely elastic. And if you do this saline procedure more than a couple times, you might not be happy with the end result. Ooh.
2: Yeah, that actually that point was made by another plastic surgeon um, in, in the New York Times article that, in fact, uh, the structure of the breast could. I mean, you just can't do it the way you change hats or scarves. Are, are or, you a plastic surgeon?
0: No, I'm just a an uh, observer. Yeah. He, that's
2: that's fine with the uh but yeah, it's not an accessory. You know, you can't accessorize that way. You have to sort there of are take consequences. It. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean the main reason that this ever existed in the first place, supposedly, was the more benign reason of how would you like to see anyway what you would look like if you actually did have this permanent procedure? So presumably you only did it once. You would think that that, that
5: would be an investment made on the doctor's part to right. to entice yeah, a that, client to yeah. do this, right? Photoshop, thirty five hundred. It's saline. You could make that in your <laughs>
2: kitchen. Right. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to leave a lot of time for um, for endorsements. Uh, and but if anybody also needs to call up about the, these other topics, eight six zero two seven five seven two six six, we might be able to squeeze a call onto the other side of our break. We'll take that break. We'll come back after this.
1: My family, they
3: don't worry. They know that I'll land on my feet, and I know why this is. It's because I've got
1: breath. So. I- Cause I go press so I'll get married I don't need a career when I've got this dairy.
3: Cause I go press and grow my hair long And I wear dresses and I'm skinny I'll be fine
1: Now, a couple things I learned about these 24-hour saline injections. You should get a friend to help you do it and the Bausch and Lomb contact lens stuff doesn't really work. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me. Our interns are Josh Nalea and Britt Hill. Greg Hill appeared in our intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Chris Martin. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton show staff standing on a girder and wolf whistling at Mario Batali, visit our website, WNPR.org. On Monday, show how a Virginia corruption trial became the portrait of a marriage. And now back to Colin.
2: He said becoming increasingly obsessed with the McDonnell uh, corruption trial uh, in Virginia, it kind of – it's not your typical corruption trial no, because they're spending a lot of their time proving, or at least uh, Mr. McDonald, Governor McDonald, is spending a lot of time proving that uh, he and his wife were not really connected emotionally while some of this corruption was I'm going on. I'm waiting for
5: him to actually bring out a bus and toss her under it.
2: Right. <laughs> but he's getting it's. it's uh, there's something almost a little heartbreaking about the whole story. Well, anyway, we'll come to that. That's that's coming. So we're going to do endorsements right now. We're going to uh, tell you about things that you might enjoy knowing about, uh, and we'll start with Teresa.
3: Uh, I'm going to endorse Wickham Park in Manchester. I feel like we've got a lot of nice parks in Connecticut and Elizabeth Park gets a lot of attention in the Hartford area. But I take my dog there quite often to walk and she has a tendency to bark at other dogs when she sees them because she wants to run up to them and meet them. So going anywhere that's really super crowded and lots of other people can be kind of annoying with her.
2: Not that I'm stalking yeah. you on your birthday, but I did mm-hmm. notice a picture of your dog um, going down a kind of Middle Earth type path, and there yes. was I assume that's Wickham Park. It was not
3: Wickham Park, right. actually. That's the trail I won't talk about on the radio because I don't want other people going to it and whistling. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um,
2: Is your dog a dingo?
3: She's way? an Australian cattle dog, which yeah. are they were bred from dingoes originally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but um,
2: Wickham Park, I would I would second that emotion. Wickham Park's a really beautiful. Park. I
3: love it, and there's huge fields, and some people don't even know we're there, so like she can run around, and people don't know, and I take. Her to the chickens to teach her not to kill them because I would like chicken someday, and it, it's a great park and I've been there a lot this summer.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. It is sort of the Elizabeth Park east of the river, but in some ways mm-hmm. it has a little bit more room to spread out. Even and it has a, of a lot of stuff park. going
3: on there. Yeah. They have like the disc golf course, and they have one of those fitness trails through the woods, and they have and there's the aviary, and there's you know like a three legged raccoon or something you can look at. There's you know, every all time you of say
5: disc golf, I keep thinking you're saying <laughs>
2: disco golf. No. And it connotes a whole <laughs> I'll different just say kind golf. of vibe. Mm-hmm. All right. Wickham Park uh, has now been endorsed. James Hanley, what have you got?
4: Um, The first thing was uh, just an amazing uh, restaurant in Willamantic, Cafe Mantic on Main Street. And um, I I went there with Norman and some friends one evening and sitting on the terrace at the back, uh, looking out over the railroad and the river and excellent food. It was just like an amazing experience. We were thinking we were in Berlin or Paris or something like that. It was really, really wonderful. And it's so great to have a place like that that is casual but good and a place you can spend time with people. And if you're a raspberry addict like me, um, there are fall raspberries coming. And there's this relatively new farm in North Wyndham called Raspberry Knoll. Um, I think they have a website, raspberryknoll.com. And they have something really amazing, which is a whole field full of raspberry plants. And they also sell flowers by the pound. A really amazing place. And lastly, um, Man of Iron is one of the Polish films. uh, Tomorrow, uh, Andrzej Wajda's amazing masterpiece about the workers' strike in Gdansk, Poland, that started the cracks in the uh, Soviet Union, actually, in nineteen eighty. And this Um, is part
2: of the Scorsese-curated restoration of these Polish movies that's on display at Trinity Cine Studio right
4: now. Right, and we're playing that through Thursday. We're playing a different movie at every show, and Man of Iron is tomorrow night's movie. But they're all really been amazing, great films that explain a lot about the state of not just Poland but Europe and comments on the world. Really amazing. All right. More endorsements. Jim Chapdelay.
5: Um, I would like to endure uh, this microphone. Wow, that would, I, I'm I'm used to doing that. On we did stage. give him the
2: bad. We gave him the bad microphone today.
5: Okay. I'd say we can here. I got I got this. I got this. Um, I, I've been uh, amused by uh, Russell Brand and Sean Hannity going back and forth on the internet. Uh, but I'm easily amused. But if you are easily amused, this is something that you might want to want to check out.
2: You're endorsing a feud. basically. I um, uh, yeah,
5: basically am, yeah. Because it's an amusing feud, it's imbalanced. It's not fair and balanced, but it is amusing. Can
2: I, can I piggyback an endorsement on that too? If you can hunt down the clip of Russell Brand appearing on Morning Joe um, – where uh, at which point – at some point he appears so perplexed by their inadequacies yeah. that he asks them if this is really the job that they do. Um, <laughs> he really is.
5: He, he, you know, he's sort yeah. of coming into this new phase of his career that I, I really like. I, mm-hmm. I thought he was just a, you know, a silly guy at first but he, he's pretty smart. Well,
2: the enemy of my enemy is my friend and so I mm-hmm. think Russell Brand is really proving himself. Yeah, there. yeah.
5: Um, that, yes. So, uh, and music-wise, uh, I'm kind of a little bit late to the party, but ex-Fleet Fox's drummer, Jay Tillman, has a band called Father John Misty that I am really digging, and um, it's it's – if you like the fleet foxes it's a little more muscular but it still has those big harmonies and um,
2: I really like it a lot you can't be late to a musical party on NPR where the audience is divided among the people who uh, don't know about this and didn't, already did, you, o- you didn't know the fleet foxes uh, have broken up never had heard of the fleet foxes we have there; it's about a third or else the
5: there's a, a group that's already into Fleet Fox Core, Right, <laughs> Fox Core, right.
2: right. So,
5: um, and the new Infinity Hall opened up, which I'm very excited about, uh, in downtown Hartford, so that's going to breathe some life, I hope, into downtown Hartford. I'm looking forward to seeing Boyhood tonight, uh, finally. Um, it's it, Even though it starts at 610, but James may have talked me out of it to wait till September to see oh, it in yeah. a proper theater. You should see it. It's interesting. But I, I may see it twice. So, and lastly, uh, at risk of sucking up, uh, Collins column about Connecticut had me actually laughing very hard today, and uh, I I think it bears a, a short discussion. But everyone should read it. It was very funny. I posted a link to it on Facebook, and it's um, it's both pointed and hilarious. All right.
2: Well, if you we have time at the end, maybe we can have do a quick discussion because it's very uh, close to the mission of Teresa's magazine. So uh, speaking of uh, Infinity Hall, uh, let me – once again, all I'm asking you to do right now is save the date, as they say on those refrigerator magnets for weddings. Uh, save the date of September 30th. That will be the fifth birthday party uh, of the Colin McEnroe Show. We are going to have it at the brand-new Infinity Hall in Hartford. You are invited. Everybody who's listening to this is invited. You will be asked to pony up all of $5 for the $1 for every year that we have existed. We have all kinds of special surprises waiting for you, and and we think it's going to be a great night. So, uh, And Tuesday nights, you know, you you need something to do on Tuesday nights. You don't want to be staying home. I got Mondays,
5: by the way. I got Mondays. You got Mondays? You have
2: Tuesdays. Tuesdays, yeah, that's right. Uh, The Shinola's on Mondays, uh, the Colin McEnroe show party, at least on Tuesday, September 30th. So do reserve that. Speaking of movies, I I, I couldn't wait to see it at – Trinity Cine Studio. I couldn't even wait for it to come to Hartford. But I'm, I'm. What I'm going to do right now, actually, is endorse Maggie Gyllenhaal in general. Uh, she's giving a really interesting performance in this Le Carre uh, influenced uh, thing on television called The Honorable Woman. It's about the Middle East. It's uh, unbelievably current in a lot of ways, uh, in the ways that it explores the tensions uh, between. Uh, Palestinians and, and Israelis and, and she's just terrific and, and she plays an English woman and I, as far as – I mean James would be a better judge but I, and as far as I can tell rather convincingly. But I also just saw her uh, in this movie that hasn't come here yet. It's called Frank and if – you know, it is – it's hard to find an original movie these days. It's it's difficult to find a movie that really begins with an original premise and Guardians then takes of the it. galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy would be the <laughs> other example, um, but but Frank is really a remarkable movie uh, in which Michael Fassbender plays um, a, a musician, a kind of Captain Beefheart kind of figure, a kind of um, you know kind of avant garde rock musician. But what he's Michael really Michael
5: Fassbender
2: as Captain Beefheart alone right, is right that, original. that's a biopic that's in the works. If I can get funding, but um, <laughs> but but what's unusual about so. him is that he performs exclusively with this sort of this fake huge head that looks like it's made out of either plastic or plaster of Paris or something, trout and he, which he never takes off. Yeah, it's a trout mask replica, but he do, he never takes it off, uh, and. Uh, so Frank is the story of his band, of the discovery of his band, of a naive British musician who um, who kind of inserts himself into that band and winds up bringing it from the British Isles to the South by Southwest in, in, in Austin. But anyway, Maggie Gyllenhaal plays this terminally irritable theremin player, which is funny all by itself <laughs> and, and, and funny in lots Aren't of different they all? ways. So uh, this show has not yet come to uh, to Hartford yet. I saw it in New York at the beautiful Landmark Sunshine Theaters or Sunshine Landmark Theaters or whatever that place is on Houston Street. But it really, it's a very unre- uh, unusual movie. I, I'm sure you can make the argument that it drags a little bit towards the end uh, but it it really uh, it's unlike anything I've ever seen and it's it's a really interesting it, I really wanted Jim Chaplin to see it because it's a very interesting movie about a band too and about a band trying to hold itself and together and I have a theremin and, you and have a you, actually own a, you th- so cranky do you actually own a theremin I do you do yeah, you, yeah. you would own a theremin actually. you, that you have to does not surprise me alright um, well I guess we don't really have time to talk about that column but I will I'll sort of second his endorsement of my work which seems like a horribly <laughs> egotistical thing to do
5: no, no it's really it's a very very good piece but just
2: sort of after <laughs> we did the wheelhouse on Wednesday, I, I did notice that so much of this campaign so far, this gubernatorial campaign, seems to hinge on the notion that you know Connecticut is a really, really horrible place to live. And it's almost as though both candidates are prepared to acknowledge that, maybe Mr. Foley a little bit more than Mr. Malloy. The question is, like, who made it so horrible and who's capable of fixing it? And I don't really feel like I'm living in this horrible place. And as the founders of the cut say, Connecticut's sort of like your annoying little sister. You don't mind picking on it, but you don't like it if anybody else does. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's what that column is about. I invite you to, to hunt it down and append to it a really insulting comment because that's what everybody else is doing right now. I already said that
0: one. Avon, Farmington. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Hey, baby, I noticed that you're appearing confident, so I'm cutting you down to make me feel more powerful. Yeah!
0: Well, thank you for saying so.